The Data Reaper podcast is a companion which provides extra insight into the weekly report found at ViciousSyndicate.com. Join us for a deeper dive into the numbers to help you improve your Hearthstone game. Hello and welcome to episode 139 of the Data Reaper podcast. I am Corbett and joining me today, as always, it's Zach Amatic. How you doing, Zach? How you doing, Corb? I'm doing great. I'm very excited. I've been very, like, unlike you, I've had a very chill weekend, getting myself mentally prepared and ready for all the new content. Um, just taking a breather, but you have been doing the exact opposite. Yeah, I mean, expansion uh, season is extremely hectic for me, but I am done. It's over. All the work, all the write-ups, all the theory crafting, all the thinking. Uh, it's over. And uh, we're in, at Expansion Day. So, uh, happy Expansion Day uh, to everyone. And we're about to enter a new format. And I am excited because there's a lot of cool stuff, cool stuff to look forward to. And hopefully a lot of new strategies pan out and we get a fresh uh, a fresh format. So, so yeah, so we're here to talk about, uh, you know, all the, the, the classes as prospects what can what might might we be expecting uh from this expansion though again i will say this is all guesswork nobody actually knows what they're talking about it's uh it's really hard to um predict what's going to happen because Nobody can replicate millions of games, right? Once an expansion drops, millions of games occur. Uh, and you can't, the refinement and the discovery when you play millions of games, it, you can't compare it to something like a theory crafting stream where streamers are, are forced to play 10 new cards, right? You know, they can't play old decks. Uh, you can't really play super optimized decks in some situations the the pool of players is very small so sometimes you get stuff right because it makes sense and you will get stuff right if you know if you understand how cards generally function and you have experience over years of history of what works and what doesn't work in hearthstone but very often and it happens every expansion there are surprises there are things that you didn't expect. Uh, just to keep in mind that even Team 5 themselves sometimes think that there's going to be a deck that's going to be strong in an expansion. Right? They, they, they sometimes tell you, oh, this deck is going uh, to be good. We thought this deck would be good. And the deck ends up not being good. I remember there was one expansion where they gave some handlock support. Uh, and like uh one of their developers was saying oh like i think i think he read one of our previews one of our expansion previews and he said really underestimating handlock like his thoughts were was we were underestimating handlock because handlock is going to be a real deck in place testing they they played handlock and handlock was like doa <laughs> never saw play <laughs> that expansion was just complete utterly unplayable right so so you don't know um even team five themselves don't know even team five themselves can get surprised uh by certain things so if they don't know 
fully know what's going to happen when they have seen these cards for months and they've play tested with these cards for months, then we definitely uh, don't have a better clue, right? Yeah, Hearthstone is a game of such thin numbers when it comes to, of such thin margin when it comes to the numbers. Even when you do know, like, how good a deck is as a baseline, when a deck gets nerfed, uh, you know, it can be difficult sometimes to figure out exactly how it's going to place. Like, it doesn't take very much for a deck to be tier one and all of a sudden to fall to tier four. It's really not that much of a difference when it comes to the small increment of win rate but it makes a big, big difference in the hands of the entire play base as a whole. So it's very hard to evaluate, very hard to get right, but we're going to try and do it anyway. And uh, if you are interested in all of the decks that Zach has cooked, which are often very successful, Zach, I'm going to pat you on the back here. Um, you can go check out the Vicious Syndicate 40 decks to try on day one. You are probably listening to this podcast on day one. So it's a great resource if you're interested in trying something and you, you happen to open a cool legendary, you don't know where to try it. Well, there you go. That's a great place to, uh, to start. Um, a reminder that the first report should be out on the 10th of August. Uh, that said, we'll play it by ear because we don't know when they will do a patch. It's very possible that they do one in the first few days. They've done that previously. Uh, and the intent is that there will be a podcast shortly after the release of the expansion. But again, we don't know exactly, exactly when because uh, of the the blurriness when it comes to is there going to be a patch is there not uh so you guys just keep an eye on the social media for all of all of that uh but zach yeah let's dig in let's dig into some of the challenges and you know all our impressions so far of what all these classes are looking like yeah um you you have to remember we have the the theorycrafting article i do have a good run a streak of like i don't know two years where every expansion at least one of the decks in the theory crafting uh, article gets nerfed, like insta nerfed. First patch, uh, uh, last expansion, it was Outcast the Age. But you have to keep in mind there are forty decks listed in the theory crafting article, and usually in a format there aren't more than I don't know twenty viable decks. So. You're really when you, you when you theorycraft forty decks, you're really shooting in every direction, and most of these decks are not going to be competitive. Uh, so keep that in mind when you like if you have a limited uh, dust uh, count, if you don't have a lot of legendaries, or if you need to craft a lot of legendaries to 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 play a certain deck in the theorycrafting article, and you're not sure, I would wait. Don't don't blow your don't blow your load on something that may not be competitive. Because most of the decks in the theory crafting article are not going to be competitive just because of the statistical chance of of it not being competitive. Because to be a meta deck, to be a competitive deck, uh, um, you need to reach a certain level of power. And even if a deck is like looks good in theory, there's so much competition with so many different strategies. Only a few of them become viable, become truly viable. So keep that in mind. Uh, when it comes to, you know, uh, building decks or investing into legendaries and, and crafting things uh, early on in the expansion. Hopefully, uh, we'll get to you a podcast as quick as po- as quickly as possible. But again, it depends on whether they do a nerf patch uh, like three days in. They seem to have that window. They've done that in uh, Darren Festivals. 
I would prefer them not to do nerfs uh, three days in, but if there is a huge power outlier, then they might do it, right? They, they, they have used this window before, so keep that in mind. But, but let's get to it. Uh, I, I think we can talk about general class prospects. Death Knight, I think, is very easy to understand its prospects because its entire set is pretty all-in on Plague Death Knight, which is a very specific archetype, which requires you to invest a certain amount of cards to make work. And I think the concept of Plague Death Knight is attractive. I think it's a deck that people will want to try and make work. Uh, it reminds me a bit of Curse Warlock, which is also a deck that uh, deck archetype that people wanted to make work. I think people are attracted in general to decks that build up things over time, and you can measure that build up, right? You can feel that build up as you you know fill your opponent's deck with plagues. Um, it, it just seems to me like a scaling strategy that is attractive. I think I think players are most attracted when it comes to late game strategies to things that scale on the eyes, right? That you can sense the scaling, sense the increasing power level. I think that gives people satisfaction. So I think Plague Death Knight in terms of design is a very attractive deck. The problem becomes whether this win win condition is quick enough to matter because um it does deal the plugs do deal damage right they're kind of bomb warrior like but the amount of damage that they deal over time i don't know if it's fast enough to you know to matter in the in the time window of an average hearthstone game right um so and my impression also from the theorycrafting stream is that this deck is not very like is not very good. Like if I'm playing something and I'm playing against players and they play a deck in theorycrafting stream, and in theorycrafting streams it doesn't look good, right? Then that's not a good sign, right? Uh, uh like I remember in the festival there was a lot of Tony Warrior hype, and I had a 100 percent win rate against Tony Warrior in the Festival of Legend uh, stream, a theorycrafting stream. And Tony Warrior ended up having like a 20% win rate. I'm not even exaggerating. It had a 20% win rate as an archetype because it, it couldn't win games. And I, I never lost against it in the theorycrafting stream. So if a deck looks bad to me in a theorycrafting stream, I don't know. I'll be very surprised if Plague actually uh, comes through. Uh, I'll be happy, but surprised. Yeah, I definitely agree. Um, you, you, you're like a professional athlete going to a high school basketball tournament or something. You know, you're playing at such a weakened field that if you don't stand out doing that, you're probably not going to make it um, if, you, if you can't just dominate the competition uh, when it comes to theory crafting. Uh, the deck is definitely very appealing. Like, I was super excited to try it. Um, I went all right with it, but I think that the thing was I built the deck in a much more aggressive way in theory crafting. And I had to ask myself, am I winning games because of plagues or am I winning games because I'm playing a slightly off version of Unholy Death Knight? Um, and I think it might have been the second thing because the the, the plagues, they, they generally felt like they weren't popping out of the deck fast enough. Um, 
and it felt like the the deck is obviously very dependent on hell yeah on uh, on curve um and i think that a, a general theme of this expansion that i that i find let's tread too much on what the other classes are doing but it feels like there has been a, a big increase in terms of both the late game lethality options that classes have but also in terms of the board swings uh, that a lot of classes are going to be able to pull off in the upcoming expansion. Uh, it feels like there's been a, a dramatic increase in power level uh, for some of these later strat later game strategies, and plagues are very dirtly and slow, and they do require long, drawn-out games to get full value. It is great that you have Dustbreaker, like, that card's awesome, but the actual win condition itself, I don't know if it's going to get the job done. Yeah, uh, and the other thing is, you're right. There are a lot. There are probably going to be a lot of experimentation. Just putting some of the plague package, the one, the green cards, the unholy cards, into unholy aggro death knight, but the plague cards don't really translate well into an aggressive deck uh, because they're slow. They, they have a slow impact. So uh, if you're playing unholy aggro death knight and you're playing the plague cards, you're basically playing like a scuffed version of a deck because you want to get on the board you want to dominate board but you have these slow cards that really don't like if they don't like if their impact is questionable even in the dedicated plague death night where you're saying you know the time window for the plagues to come through is very short then in an unholy aggro deck where the average game is even shorter then i highly question whether that inclusion makes sense but it does make sense that that kind of version of deck would perform better because you're playing Unholy Aggro Death Knight and you still have you you have more good cards and you can win through Grave Strengths and stuff like that. But I still question whether the Plague is an optimal inclusion. We'll see. It, there, there's some cases for it. Like maybe it gives you some off-board damage to the deck and makes it more versatile. But I, I don't know. I, 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 I highly doubt it. And since... You know, the, the entire Death Knight set is all about the plagues, and there's not much else. Like, the Blood Control Death Knight and the Theorycrafting article has one new card, <laughs> which is the Primus. Though I do have, like, news, like the Jailer build is happening right now, and there's actually a Blood Control ver variant that's very similar to what we have in the Theorycrafting article that's doing much better than other Blood Control uh, Death Knight decks. So I thought this would be sensible to just put that out there and say hey this might be the way where blood control can adjust to high lethality formats because you actually have kill buttons uh with that version it it, it feels more greedy it looks more greedy and people will say oh this is very greedy high curve and stuff but no this is not this is what it needs to compete in the late game uh, you need to be able to have kill switches especially uh, in an upcoming format where people, you know, decks are going to be much more lethal. You need to be able to kill them uh, at some point in the game. You can't just drag ga games out forever. And, you know, Frost has a cute thing with the Howling Blast Primus. But other than that, it's going to be the same deck. So there is a concern with Death Knight that it's going to stagnate a bit. Because it doesn't really get a lot of new cards compared to other archetypes. Um, and if Plague doesn't pan out, you're going to see Unholy Frost Blood wherever their power level sits at, uh, be the main choices. I, I do wonder, though, if Death Knight will finally crack in terms of popularity because there's a new expansion. If Death mm. Knight doesn't have the most exciting things to do, so will it finally be the expansion where Death Knight's play rate will be, you know, determined just like every other class. It won't have the 
the high play rate tax of a new class. It might be this expansion. Um, Demon Hunter. Demon Hunter is another class. So I, I do think that the expansion is quite impactful and uh, most of the sets are strong. Uh, but alongside Death Knight, I think Demon Hunter has a pretty weak set. I honestly, like, there's a, there's a world where nobody has identified, you know, the secret recipe for the Demon Hunter set to make a deck that's, like, nutty. People have said, oh, yeah, Zacho, you need to just play an aggro Demon Hunter with these cards. It makes sense. I'm not playing Arcanite Golem in my aggro Demon Hunter. It's a three-mana, one-five. I would rather play a Vicious Slither Spear. Why am I playing that card in Aggro Demon Hunters? That card is both slow and unreliable. So I, I highly doubt that. Though there is some exciting things. Obviously, Argus is nuts. Um, Jotun is very interesting. Though we'll see. The impact, it's a 5-mana slow body. And the impact is not over, again, the time window of an average Hearthstone game. I'm not sure about it. But it is an exciting card, at least test, in Relic Demon Hunter and Spell Demon Hunter and such. Uh, I think Demon Hunter probably got the weakest set uh, at, a, at a glance. That was my initial impression. And then when I got to the actual deck building phase, that's also what I found. That said, Demon Hunter is also, you know, the strongest class uh, right now in terms of diversity and multiple, like, very high tier archetypes. So it isn't necessarily the worst thing in the world for the out of... There's always going to be a, a class that got the weakest set. Um, if it's Demon Hunter, then that's probably not the worst place for it to land. That said, it would have also been great. You know, you want every class to get new things to try and you want new things to land. Uh, but it's very difficult for me to imagine how this draw mechanic and draw list is going to work. And because there are so many slots dedicated towards that, it does kind of feel like the set is really centered around just the legendaries. Uh, the Titan is great because it says the word Titan on it. Um, and Jotun could be strong in Relics, but there's a lot more up in the air about that. But apart from that, uh, it, it, it's lacking some real standouts, um, much like the, the plagues, I suppose, in Death Knight, where it's, it's difficult to see this package landing perfectly, which is going to cost it a lot of card slots. I mean, the plague death thing is pretty fleshed out. Here, I don't even see a deck. I can't even see a deck. I might be blind, but I don't see a deck. And nobody else is... Like, I've talked, like, try and build something with that with that package of cards, and nobody seems to be uh, very convincing. Uh, because I did my research. Like, I, I tried to find ideas, and I, I just couldn't. It just didn't seem... Like, people didn't even bother. Yeah. Uh, didn't even bother trying after looking at the cards. That's the impression I got. Um... But yeah, I, I think I think Demon Hunter is actually kind of shaky. It really depends on late game battles. Like if Relic Demon Hunter, if the late game still is good and it can compete with the increasing power of other late game strategies, it's going to be fine. But if this expansion is like a Stormwind jump in power, I don't know if it's going to be that. Like there's absolutely no guarantee of that. Um, but it, if, if there's such a jump where Relics get out class, I think that the class might be in serious trouble. Uh, but we'll see. Um, I think Demon Hunter, if there is a class that can skip an expansion, it's Demon Hunter, but it's never good to skip an expansion. Um, Druid. Druid is really exciting. I think Druid got a really exciting set. I think that, like, in one 10-card set, somehow there, there seems to be possible revival of Ramp Druid, 
of AgroDruid, suddenly all things like all possibilities uh, uh, are opened again because Druid has a good supporting shell. It had a decent supporting shell. It just didn't have a win condition. And now it's getting win condition. You've got multiple options. Uh, Eonar and Freyara, if you want to go super late game, when I say super late game and Druid is like turn seven, you ramp into <laughs> Eonar and, and go off. But, but uh, like that is the ultimate combo, the Eonar Freya. You can build around that. Uh, Drum Circle, I think, is going to be a really important card with Embrace of Nature. Uh, Lifebinder's Gift allows you to discount uh, Drum Circle so you can play it even earlier. So you have you multiple avenues to, to, to discount it. And it's five taunts, uh, five, uh, four, six taunts. You can drop maybe turn six with some ramping, turn five even. There will be some games like that. That shuts down like aggressive decks on the spot. Like they cannot get through 30 health and taunts uh, across five bodies. So that is a serious win condition in faster matchups. In the slow matchups, Druid's got the inevitability. I mean, it's not that much of an inevitability, uh, but you can always, you know, tech a jailer uh, like inside an ATC and win the slower matchups. But uh, Raptor just has, I think, good late game. Um, where it can go in multiple directions. We, we've shown, I've shown two directions. One, going through hero power package and, and coping a little bit with Ignis, uh, because Ignis works 60% of the time, but the damage from the hero power might be enough to get the job done in most matchups. And the other is the top here direction where, you know, if you're playing Lifebinder's Gift and it generates, it's a nature spell that generates two other nature spells. So your nature spell density is really high. So maybe top here makes sense, right? as one of the um, Summer Flower Child targets. So I really like how Druid is looking. Uh, it seems fun. If Armor Warrior becomes really good, I think Drum Circle is a good answer. It might force the Warrior to run Brawl. If we're thinking about meta, you know, meta developments one hour in, uh, uh, Drum Circle might be a good answer to Odin Warrior. Uh, you've got Cultivation, which is... I think it's going to be a really impactful card. I think it's a matter of time, really. And we have, you know, a list that's like slower with like Ancient of Growth drum circle direction where you use that to cultivate and, and kill your opponent that way. You you power spike and you play like a, a druid deck from like around Boom's Day time uh, where you ramp, but you're token based. You have you have the ability to fill a board and, and kill with with a board based finisher. Or you go more aggressive direction, and Agrodruid did get, like, if you have both Cultivation now and Herald of Nature, you have a lot of payoffs for a, a, a board-centric deck, a, a board-centric aggressive deck. So that's kind of a big deal, and maybe that's good enough to, to promote that too. So Druid, I think, revitalized. Uh, there's a good chance that at least one of these strategies are going to pan out, and it will be competitive again. Yeah, Druid may be my favorite set. Uh, from this expansion. I, I played a listener theory crafting stream that was almost the exact same as the top year uh, ramp druid that you had listed. I think I just had two of the blossoms instead of the lunar eclipse because of the deck building restriction. Um, and that deck was great. Like that deck felt fun. That was the deck that felt like it was dunking on high school kids when it came into the theory crafting stream and just shredding it. Uh, the inevitability from 
you know, duplicating Astalor was really nice in, in late game matchups. And yeah, like you outlined, Drum Circle with Embrace of Nature is the type of big uh, power swing and late game, um, you know, l- l- late game value that we uh, were alluding to before when talking about Relics and also Death Knight uh, and the difficulties of a deck like Plague Death Knight uh, in beating this kind of win condition. So I love the Druid set. Um, I do think that there's going to be a, a number of directions that we can go in. Um, I like how there is some tension between Summer Flower Child and Cultivation, uh, which means that if you want to play Cultivation, there might be uh, two real distinct versions of Ramp Drum Circle Druid that we might go in. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I just love this. I, I think this is a very exciting set, and I would be excited for the real first, real dedicated sort of Triant Druid uh <laughs> that works in Hearthstone's history it does feel like in general druid's design in recent expansions i'm gonna get flamed for this super hard for saying this by some players i think druid's design has been really really good uh like in terms of being attractive uh feeling like the druid class and you know being evocative and exciting uh, I think the Festival Legend set was also similar. It just ended up being uh, very centered on a single card that felt egregious, right? And then they ended up nerfing it, and that was kind of the bullets in the gun. And then uh, Druid didn't have anything else to do. But I, I feel like this set is is helping it get more stuff. I think Eonar, Freya, and Cultivation are the win conditions that it needed on top of the Drum Circle Stabilization play which is a very different way. I think you can compare it to Scale of Anixia. It's an entirely different play, but it does accomplishes the same thing. It helps Druid turn the corner in the faster matchups. Uh, Scale of Anixia removed. Uh, Drum Circle produces taunts and roadblock you. So, But they accomplish the same goal in the faster matchups. I think Druid was missing that. So that's pretty exciting. And Druid is definitely a deck that I'm going to try on, on the first day. Uh, the top your nature uh, list, I do like that one a lot. Players have always really enjoyed Ramp Druid. Like, it's been highly overplayed uh, historically with Kazakasan. And I think that I think that this is going to be similarly effective if it is viable. Like, this was very fun to me. I think it is going to be, uh, you know, very tempting for a lot of players to, to try. Yeah, for, for, for people like, uh, there are a lot of people who complain about Ramp Druid and saying Ramp is fundamentally flawed, whatever. Ramp Druid is one of the best design archetypes in, in Hearthstone's history because people really enjoy it. Uh, I think people often miss, in the, miss the point that archetypes need to be fun. The first and foremost, they need to be fun. They need to be attractive. They need to be something that the player wants to play. And Ramp Druid is absolutely that. Um... Which is why we need to keep supporting it in the future too. And this is why Team 5 uh, have kept supporting it. Because it's attractive. It makes the game more fun. Um, That's the most important thing. Speaking of, we talked about early nerfs. What might happen? (laughs) I think Hound Hunter might get... Like, I hope not. Like, quote me. I hope it doesn't happen. I, I will keep saying it. People will, some people will rage. Why Zacho keeps defending Hollowhound? It's because Hollowhound added a new dimension to the Hunter class that it didn't have before. Uh, that's why I like it. It's the only reason. So 
yeah, but you know, ABJ um, is really is gonna be really powerful with Hollow Hound and. Honestly, the Hound Hunter list that we have, the Renathal build, I think Renathal is going to be better uh, because there's so many win conditions in this deck anyway. So you don't need the extra consistency of the 30 cards. Um, that deck looks disgusting. Um, Prison of Yogg is good in Hunter. This is news from like over the last week. Some uh, people started running Prison of Yogg in Hound Hunter, and it's good. This is why it's in the deck. Uh, but in general, new cards, Titanforge Traps, I think it's going to be just a good value card for the archetype, even without other, you know, immediate secret synergies. Like, yeah, we have a custom singer, but it doesn't really interact with Titanforge Traps, but you still play it because because it's a good card. So same uh, deal with Titanforge and ABJ, which is going to be a huge buff. You can put it on Mukla. You're going to put it on Hound, especially after Theron. It's just going to deal an insane amount of damage. That is the combo that I think has a chance of being nerfed because, not just because power level reasons, but because it dissuades opponents from playing cards. Like, you can't play minions. Because if you're playing, like, three minions into a hunter in the late game, you're kind of... It's not just that they heal and clear, they kill you with it. So, uh, it, it feels like a sinful brand type of thing. So, if that thing becomes too powerful, I think it might get nerfed. Um... There is also other ways, like there's another cute list. I wanted to differentiate. I didn't want to feature a 30-card Hound Hunter that was normal. I wanted to feature something that was a bit cooler. So, oh dear list with the Cleave build uh, is really funny. It's probably not going to be optimal. It's probably not going to be as good as the, you know, well-rounded Hound Hunter. But it, there is some funny stuff with it. Mostly that if you play Hodir... And then you play like a Hollow Hound and then Absorb and Parasite. It's going to be a 16-16. The Parasite gets the Hodir buff before it, it attaches itself, before the magnetization. So you get, this build is much more geared to just cleaving OTK opponents as early as uh, turn 9. And that list is pretty funny, so you can try it out for sure. Uh, but I will warn you, it's it runs some bad cards individually. So it's probably not going to be as well-rounded. Um, but, you know, there's a lot of attention on, on Hound Hunter, but there's, you know, two other... Like, the Hunter set was really good, I think. It both supports Hound Hunter, but it also supports potentially new strategies. Now, again, they might not pan out, but they do look promising. One is, like, the Token Hunter with Observers of Myths. That card with Awakening Tremors could be really, really powerful. Um... And you just play like an unholy death knight in in hunter form, right? Uh, where you just low to the ground, you play uh, sticky cards, and then you just win with Observer of Myth into Awakening Tremors. You just play a bunch of worms to activate Observer of Myth, and you just buff your whole board. Um, that could work. Uh, another is Secret Hunter. Obviously, the Secret Hunter is a bit more facey because you're running Star Strong Bow, and that's a high damage weapon. That you're not like a six attack weapon is not killing minions. Six attack being a six attack uh, weapon goes face, and this is why I think face hunter with the secret package is also a strong possible direction for the class. So for me, at least at initial glance, uh, the class has potential to be to diversify. Uh, they have uh, managed to support both the established uh, deck of hunter and 
adding new things that you may want to do with the class. So I think Hunter in general is very likely to be one of the best classes at launch. Yeah, I think we've talked about this in a previous episode, but I really love Bow in Secret Hunter. Uh, Secret Hunter usually being the type of deck that um, can lack a little bit of lethality. And so having Bow... Uh, obviously designed we're not we're not trading with the bow that's going right upstairs every time and it's going to be great uh i'm also very intrigued this wasn't in your theory crafting list um but i'm becoming more and more interested in the idea of sylvanas in secret hunter um i'm just going to float that one out there uh you know with zombies that can be very effective and with titan forge traps you have more chances of uh of zombies and i i am interested in in that especially heading into the titan meta where sylvanas uh might become more much more important than it has been previously yeah i don't know if face hunter i don't know if face hunter runs sylvanas but i do think that every minion dense uh art because because if you're looking at the face hunter it does have minions but it's kind of facey right it deals a lot of burst from hand and kills kills opponents the goal is to kill opponents pretty quickly but I can definitely see it. I think Sylvanas is going to be really good in minion dense stuff. If you can infuse Sylvanas quickly enough, which isn't easy, right? The infuser Karin is like seven. Then it's going to be uh, an important anti-Titan, um, you know, card. So we'll see. Um, yeah, Mage. Uh, Mage, Mage, I think, doesn't... I mean... Mage has one of my favorite decks that I want to try, which is the Spell School Rainbow Mage. Maybe we should call it Rainbow Mage, honestly. I was calling it Multicaster Mage, but maybe that's too much of a throwback. No, we don't. We're not running Multicaster right now. Our 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 four mana three four deals bajillion damage to enemy minions. That card's broken. Yeah, Inquisitive Creation is amazing. It's an amazing card. That's the that's like really the card that you really want to build around in terms of being a stabilizer, and I do really like the build that I landed on with the spell school mage. The only argument people are probably going to bring it up: why is there only one reverberation? Um, well, it's pretty tough to fit two. That's one answer. Uh, I understand the the idea in th in theory. Everybody's going to run titan, so we need to run double reverb, copy the titan, play the titan ability. Uh, yeah, I understand all of that, uh, and it's possible that reverb. This is second reverb is like better than something like Infinitize Demaxitude. Maybe we don't need Infinitize Demaxitude, but Infinitize Demaxitude does help you find more spells that can potentially generate things that you need to, you know, um, you know, get your spell school count higher. While reverberation is a is a reactive card right that's not that uh also it's not good against every titan there are some titans where it's good against like amanthul uh amanthul and uh uh norganon and like a mirror then reverbing norganon is really strong but there are reverb targets are pretty bad uh for like their titan targets are pretty bad like um argrimar it does nothing kazgaroth is not very good right or Sargeras that comes so late in the game, like not every Titan is amazing to reverb. So uh, the thinking is uh, reverb is a late game card, a reactive card. So maybe one copy is okay. But if you do want to run two, you can run something. You can cut an arcane worm kind of, kind of needed because it's a turn one play. Uh, it's kind of hard to cut anything else uh, to fit in. I think star power is going to be a better 
answer to most titans than reverb. But I do understand the idea of reverb. Uh, but the list is looking cool. The one question is, is it defensively strong enough if you don't get creation, uh, a creation swing? It, there's a possibility that it just dies. Uh, but I will definitely try it. It looks pretty cool. The other thing that Mage got is, you know, a lot of burn. Uh, Molten Rune is a card, you know, it generates spells from any class. So it's a good card in a spell school mage. But it also just a nook. It's just another frozen touch that you just need to forge once. And it's a three mana double frozen touch. Uh, so maybe you just run it in an Aegwin build with Sif and just kill your opponent. Uh, and then another list is a favorite of mine is the Elemental Burn Mage. Where, uh, you know, Volume Up is not a sacred cow. It's a card that's not the best fit for an aggressive deck. And I do see that in the data that it was it was ran out of necessity. But if Chain Guardian is exists now, comes in, maybe you run an early elemental package and you're able to draw cards more proactively and uh, you don't need Cosmic Keyboard to draw, uh, you know, to make up for the fact that you're spending four mana on a card that doesn't develop the board, doesn't impact the board in any way in an aggressive deck. So the Elemental Bird also looks pretty cool to me and is a deck that I would uh, I would try. Uh, but other than that, I don't know if there's anything that's particularly uh, promising in the class. A spooky Mage with Renathal and stuff. That deck's late game is already bad. Maybe it adds Lethality and it's able to to be better, but if it adds lethality, you might as well run just a spell school mage with Sif. So I'm not sure what what the control spooky mage can do with this new expansion. The spell school mage was one of my favorite archetypes that I tried. Um, Inquisitive creation, like I haven't done the exercise, but it might be like a top five card of the set if I was going to rank it. Like I think this card is fantastic. It, it, it won so many games more than the Sif. Uh, or any of the actual intended win conditions. It was often just the Inquisitor creation dealing like six to the opponent's board. So, I mean, it's it's the win condition, faster matchups. It's the way you just clear the war board and turn the corner and stabilize. So you want to pump that one up. You want to pump that card up more than anything else. Um, Sif is more like a niche. Like if you're playing like against Control Priests, then you have the option to burst them down and put them... Like, since a deck like Control Priest, for example, gives you a lot of time, you can get your Ceph to, like, plus 8 <laughs> or plus 7. And that deals uh, a lot. That a lot of damage with just a Molten Rune and a single 1-mana spell that deals damage. It's, like, almost an OTK, a full OTK. So, But but it's not going to be relevant in a lot of matchups where you're just trying to survive and playing uh, Elemental Inspiration. That's, like, the card that just, okay, stat bomb, game over. So May just felt kind of interesting since the um, Nathria set where we had the skeletons and it's felt like each expansion we've kind of just been building upon tweaking the same shell as we went from like Frost Aggro uh, and then rotation happened and that, then we had the more Burn Mage where we dropped uh, and brought in some non-Frost spells um, and this feels like another evolution upon that where we start going into this multi-spell school um, you know, kind of flavor. And it's interesting. I, I don't know if there's quite another archetype that has this real through line over the past year or so, but it seems to be something that a lot of people continue to enjoy, even if they insist on the Renathal more control version of the archetype. 
Yeah, I mean, this, the skeleton package has been a huge success uh, for the for, for the mage class in general. Uh, one thing about the elemental burn mage that I don't have in the deck is Sanctum. And people might say, oh, why is Arcane Sanctum not there? But the thinking is, your early game curve is going to be elementals. You're going to play Synthesize. You're going to play a couple of elementals on turn three to activate the Chain Guardian. So your early game evolves into into doing that rather than playing more passively with a sanctum so that was my thought about about that but yeah it, it really is evolving the unfortunate part is again the burn mage is something that people are not as attracted to as the control spooky stuff but maybe this this set kind of pushes them pushes players to run more of the burn mage because it really got some some new cool stuff yeah i mean again it, it it, it goes back to what you were saying before about um, building up a game plan and players seeing number go up and that, that slow improvement. And so maybe for that reason, Sif and you know, the creative can be big payoffs that people can see physically is the number going up and becoming better and better. Uh, Paladin. Paladin, honestly, Crusader Aura is going to carry. Um, that card... That card is already uh, causing mayhem in standard because it got released with uh, with uh, with the expansion patch before launch la uh, last week. So um, it, it really encourages Paladin to just flood the board and just just kill people with with Crusader Aura. And I, I think that most experimentation in the Paladin direction will be that. So you know, one of the lists that we have in the report. Not in the report in the theorycrafting article is the dude the pure dude paladin where you run it's not full dude you run some dude card like muster for battle into crusader aura is a good curve if you run standard against darkness it's it's quite good you can put lothraxian because it's a demon then it gets drawn by purator so that's a cute interaction but this deck is very similar to the pure paladin that you see right now only you have more things to leverage crusader aura with um, so something like that, especially when you have a Amitus, uh, which is another way to buff your board and even protect it. So it, it makes sense to, to run her in, in this list. The other alternative is to run Mech Paladin, not with Melted Maker and Storm Giants, which is everything I've seen in the theorycrafting streams, like Mech Paladin's running that package. I don't know why. I think what Mech Paladin wants to do is flood the board reload with ready detector or megatha and like if you have a board and your opponent doesn't answer you bubble bot to secure its position or you crusader aura and just kill them i think that kind of strategy is very likely to succeed early on um so i do expect some aggressive paladin to do well in the first week of the expansion i do wish though the deck that I'm most hyped about with Paladin is the Earthen Paladin. And even though I'm skeptic about its power, um, I worked a lot. Of t I spent a lot of time trying to refine it uh, and make it work. Because it's really cool. Because I'm one of the players that really likes to summon a larger and larger band. I really like doing that. Um, it just, it's just fun. Um... But I do recognize that the larger and larger man does not have taunt or rush. So he's not going to protect me. But maybe we give it a rush with dance floor. And then that makes it work. Um, 
I, I do love the list that I ended up landing on, and I'm going to play that day one. But I'm warning you, it's probably not going to be one of the best decks uh, because uh, the, the earthen package is very slow. If you get, uh, like, I think turn 7 is when this deck really ramps up. I tried this deck in the Theorocrats stream. If you play tier and after playing, like you play Stoleheart King and you play Disciple of Amitus and then you play tier, then you go like your earthens become, you're at a 10, 10 count. Like the earthens become huge. And turn seven seems fast, but again, they don't have charge. <laughs> so it still takes time. And by that time, a lot of other decks ramp up too. So. I'm I'm not sure it's going to be competitive, but it is. It does look like, like a lot of fun to me. Yeah, it's not the type of R type that personally appeals, but uh, obviously the make a larger and larger man has been um, a favorite of many in the past. Uh, we did mention that maybe relics. You know, we're worried that if they got outscaled. So if we're worried about relics getting outscaled, I'm don't, not sure exactly how much faith I have in the larger and larger men in Paladin because these feel. Uh, quite a bit slower. But remember, relics were bad when they launched, and they buffed them. They did. They did get buffed, so maybe, you know, we'll see. We'll keep an eye out what they eventually do, you know? I think there's a good chance that if Earthen Paladin doesn't work out, they'll buff it. Because I, I think this is the type of deck that may attract an audience. And they just, you know, they released a blog talking specifically about Paladin and recognizing that Something about it's uh, the way that they designed it and, and they felt limited in terms of design space because Paladin's supposed to be the fur class. And they're saying, we're kind of stepping out of that. Uh, future expansions, we might see Paladin stop being so fair because I think that sense of fairness is what makes Paladin underplayed relative to its power consistently over the last few years because people want to... They want to do exciting plays that feel like the goal of, I think the goal in Hearthstone is to make decks that feel overpowered, but aren't overpowered. And Paladin being stuck in this fair basket makes it really hard to accomplish that goal, right? Because Paladin doesn't feel powerful even when it's overpowered. Even when you play a Festival of Legends, like I guess when Horn came in, it kind of felt really strong. But it's hard to feel powerful when you're playing even a good Paladin deck. Uh, the way that you lose games in an aggressive deck and you just run out of stuff and you're just so board-centric that you're, like, you're seeing your opponent has like five health and they stabilize and you can't even finish them off. At least that was the sense before Horn came in, which was a very important card for the class. But yeah, let's, let's have Paladin be a little bit unfair. Uh, speaking of unfair, do you have a prediction on Mech Paladin's unfairness at perhaps not top legend, but at the the rest of ladder. I, I think Beck, I think there's a good chat, shot that one Crusader or a Paladin is a top three deck in the format in the first week. I don't think that's a uh, that's probably not a crazy prediction. It's pretty predictable. Um, I do think Mech Paladin because of Inventor's aura has the potential to flood the board so early on that it's going to just stomp on unrefined decks that are like slow and clumsy. And but but keep in mind if you're playing Mech Paladin first day, don't 
Don't settle. Like, your entire deck is low curve. Try to find Inventor Zor and Radar Detector. Find these cards because uh, it's very important to flood the board in one turn uh, and then reload than it is to just play incremental cards one after turn and let your opponent, like, deal with one threat at a time. So be greedy in your mulligan. Try to find your powerful cards and that deck is probably going to be good early on. If it's not good early on, then it's it's Jover for it, right? But uh, but but it's probably gonna be strong and competitive. Um, yeah, priest. Uh, priest is another set that I feel like is underwhelming. Amanthul is insane. We recognize that. Everybody knows that. Creation Protocol is also an amazing card. These two cards are huge. They're gonna go into most priest decks that can afford running them. But the rest of the preset is kind of meh. Control Priest is an archetype that I suspect will fall off with this expansion. At least the Renathal version of it, the established variant that we saw, we see in Festival Legends. If Control Priest is good in the first week, then something has gone horribly wrong for this format. Because there's so many win conditions, late game win conditions, being introduced with high lethality and inevitability. I just don't see how Control Priest can get cannot get worse uh because of it but if there's you know if there's one thing that control priest can do to maybe offset that and put pressure on the opponent is not to summon a larger larger man but a larger larger robot and i do like the automaton uh, control priest list and no hands gamer was playing in the theory crafting streams uh i was figuring out i had a horrible build uh in the draft like and i ended up deleting it uh, because it was all in on, on Automaton and it didn't feel like a good pre-stack, but the list that we have in the Theory Crafting article actually feels like Control Priest, but it does have a beatdown win condition with the Atomptons. And you can get them down, you can scale them up quite quickly. So maybe this is the way that Priest adjusts, and hey, if it stops playing Renathal because of it, I'll welcome it. That will be fantastic. We're gonna, we might have a Control Warrior and a Control Priest that don't run Renathal. Oh, and actually have beatdown win conditions. Right, fantastic. But uh, but yeah, I would definitely worth trying out the Pogo control priest. We call it Pogo because the automatons are Pogo hoppers, basically in a way. And I'm not gonna call it automaton priest. We're Pogoing, man. <laughs> the uh, both control priests look, um, I don't know, like very interesting. The automatons did scale much faster in the slower version than I was expecting uh in standard that is i i had some thoughts about it in wild but we'll, we'll keep that to a different show um the automatons yeah they they are a ton of inevitability and i do like this direction where you're not going all in um and you're just running a lot of the good cards and you just kind of have this as this late game threat uh yeah and a month um, uh, a month all god man do you like I, d I don't know how much we want to speculate on nerfs but holy crap this card it has 10 health. It has 10 health. I mean, I'll be surprised if it gets a nerf because Priest, I don't think Priest is going to be one of the top classes in the first week. So I don't think it's going to get nerfed, Corb. But yeah, I suppose. Maybe eventually. Maybe eventually. But uh, but uh, but yeah, it's it's obviously going to be a powerful card. But, you know, maybe it needs a po powerful card because the rest of the set isn't that good. Um, 
the set feels largely disconnected. Um, I know that Priest is diff- like, typically I think Priest is a bit weird, like, most times when it gets a set, and it's a little bit hard to figure out. One of the more challenging yeah, classes. Yeah, I theorcraft stuff for Priest, and then, like, an expansion launches and everybody does com- something completely differently. Because, you know, P- Priest is hard to figure out, but this set doesn't seem to encourage much. We do have a really nice meme Stars Align Priest, I do like that list, but I do recognize it's probably going to be a huge meme and not actually a good deck. Uh, but I did, again, I scour. I look for ideas from other people and what, you know, Priest could possibly do. And other than, you know, Pogos and Katropis, I haven't sensed a lot of different ideas. There's some. There were some other memes, like there's an, like you can... I think Wooling suggested going infinite Rodden with like Mask Reveler, where you run only Mask Reveler and Rodden, and it's kind of weird. Oh, <laughs> that's interesting. You know, things that are a bit more realistic. I, I didn't, I didn't get the sense that there were there was much there. Um, so we'll see what Priest ends up doing. If it goes Pogo direction, then great. Uh, if Automatons end up being good enough, then Priest will be able to adapt. And transition into a higher lethality format. Rogue. Uh, yeah. Rogue, not my favorite set. But uh, there's some there's some stuff that I managed to cook that I actually kind of like. Um, generally, I have very little faith that, you know, you're going to play a mech rogue deck that plays turn one click locker and turn two amalgam of the deep. I don't think that's what rogue going to do. Uh, but it might be able to utilize some of the mechs, the more powerful mechs, inside the shell that resembles Miracle Rogue with concoctions. Because concoctions are good, so maybe we can add um, some of the best mechs into, into that shell. So the best mech is Mimiron. Absolutely recognize that card is powerful. Uh, I might have rated it him even higher if I was confident in the entire mech tribe. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's a card that you can run just with like from the scrap imp, uh, from the scrap heap, and run like a uh, oscillator and drone deconstructor. You have three mechs in pl- in the deck, and you can pit stop for Memoron every time and try to blow out your opponent with Memoron. Absolutely, a, something that Miracle Rogue can do. Um, and it's a list in the report in the in the theorycrafting articles that we have, and I think that that list looks c- kind of nice. It looks kind of nice. The other idea I had pretty late. I was trying to cook. So, Corb, I was like for two weeks. I was looking at Scourge Illusionist and Containment Unit. Oh God. And yeah, and I wanted to think. I w- I want to do that in a deck. Why? Why is this good? Because containment unit is by far the highest value magnetic mech in the format. And if you put that on top of a lab constructor, first of all, you don't need to forge the lab constructor, right? And if you do that, then like gigantic, right? It's mm-hmm, a gigantic mm-hmm. threat. Like, so you play illusionist, the illusionist dies, you get a three, three mana, four, four containment unit. And turn seven, or with the help of Bone Spike, you can do it earlier. You play Lab Constructor. It doesn't need to be Forge. You put Containment Unit on it, and you have a win condition. That's like a Sinstone Graveyard kind of play. So this replaces Sinstone Graveyard. You keep the Memoron Shell, but you add two more mechs 
to it, uh, which is lab construction and containment. Rather than, you know, going on curve and trying to play out Macrog, you're playing Miracle Rogue, but you're replacing Sinstone Graveyard, Ajara, and the Astral Wind Condition with this. And I think this looks really cool, and it actually looks kind of fun. And I may even try it. Um, because you have mana cheating here. Like, you have the thing that Mechorg normally doesn't have, which is significant mana cheating, other than Oscillator, right? You don't have ways to outpace your opponent that much, but if you run Prep, Bone Spike, Oscillator, and Scourge Illusionist, you have ways to outpace your opponent uh, and actually present threats early. I adore Containment Unit. Uh, containment Unit. I love that card. It's so big and dumb, and I've talked about this on like other platforms, but this is one of my favorite cards of the set, even though it's so simple. This is my favorite mech. I mean, people know my relationship... My relationship with Max is not that warm, but I love Containment Unit. That card is so stupidly good. It's so stupidly fun. It has an A-drop inside of it. It's, it's fantastic. It's so fat. It's so fat, Zach. It's it's the fattest mech. Like it's got a big <laughs> butt. It's got a huge butt. So yeah, I think this is this might be a direction because because Lab Constructor is a very promising card, right? The problem with Lab Constructor is you need to forge it. Uh, in order to hit like on curve mix. But what if you never need to forge it? And in this list, you never need to forge it. Maybe you forge it in order to put it on an oscillator once in a while. But mostly what you're going to do, you're going to put spark bots on it. And the spark bots have magnetics, so it doesn't need to be forged. Or you put a containment unit on it, so it doesn't need to be forged. So it's just like a Serenite Jengen that you just scale up with buffs. Uh, uh, it can work. It's, it's promising. This is my favorite rogue deck by far and i think i made it like a day before uh, i usually do all the theory crafting before i even play in the theory crafting stream i do it far in advance especially now with the reveal season but this one was like a very late addition that i just like i i i figured it out i knew uh, how to use illusionist and abuse it with containment it so i really love that list uh and i'm gonna try it out for sure uh other other things I'm not too excited about. Thief Rogue looks like a pile. Looks like a fun pile. Uh, and it's got some cool stuff. I do like Kologarn and Breakdance. That's hilarious. But it's also 9 mana. It's a 9 mana combo. I recognize it. Um, and maybe it runs Ignis to have a, a, bit, a better win condition. Like an additional win condition. Because Watcher of the Sun is a really good stabilizing card for Thief Rogue. Like, it didn't get much, right? Catch on my creation is a good card. But in the neutral set, Watcher of the Sun is actually good in Thief Rogue. So maybe it can heal up more. You know, you forge it and then you shadow step it. It's quite a lot of healing and also value through holy spells. But it's it has a 40% win rate right now. Like, these additions are not going to push its win rate by 10%. I don't think so. I'm going to be shocked if it does. But But yeah. Yeah, um, Rogue, uh, like we've kind of talked a little bit about it. I know that there has been some dissenting opinion by the wider community that do seem excited. I think a lot of people um, were impressed by the deck in the theorycrafting stream. But as we mentioned at the very top of the show, the theorycrafting stream isn't always the best place to evaluate decks. Um, so if they do do like the on-curve mech strategy, I would be surprised.
In the theorycrafting streams, they weren't playing the uncurved mech. They were playing something more similar to like uh, like a miracle shell, right? But but mech rogue is kind of like like if mech rogue plays against druid, I can totally see it doing well, right? Because druid just sits there and it's passive and it lets mech rogue do, does whatever, and mech, uh, druid doesn't have a good answer to, to like lab constructor. But if you're placing a deck with removal, right? Lab Constructor Lab Constructor is probably one of the most promising things in the format if your opponent is AFK. Most Hearthstone decks are not AFK. Yeah, it sits there, it doesn't do anything, doesn't have Shard of the Narrow. That card's gonna make you cry when you play Mechrogue. Or, you know, other removal, uh, things that Blood Death Knight is, has access to. Um, uh, there, there are a lot of ways to just answer it. Uh... Uh, or you just pressure it out of the game, right? You just, you, if you're playing proactively and the rogue never has stuff in play and it needs to wait to turn seven in order to do something, then it might have a problem. But Mimiron could be the, the wild card there. It could be the way that Miracle Rogue can swing. Uh, but at the end of the day, it has the stats of a Hawkstrider Rancher. You're going to hope to buff it with Spark Bots and get it out of range. So it can snowball for multiple turns. But uh, other than that, um, I don't know. Shaman. Shaman, obviously, one of the most exciting sets uh, uh, in, of the expansion. It got a really powerful set. Uh, Overload Shaman is going to be a deck that's really hard to figure out. I iterated and iterated this list. The Biohorn Shaman. Like, there's a debate. We, uh, we run Horn. And there's another debate saying, oh, we're going Bio. I think you always run Horn, and then the thinking is, do you need Bio or not? I ended up putting Bio because I wanted to, I want people to test it. Maybe Bio is not good enough, but this deck has massive burst, massive OTK potential. The only problem is it's going to Hero Power in turn two or play Ancestral Knowledge. It's kind of AFK in the early game, and it's a bit weird. Your early game plays is like Champion of Storm. You forge Champion of Storm. You play Lightning, Flash of Lightning turn three. You try to go off with champion storms on turn four with multiple zero cost spells from lightning reflexes that are discounted. You know, that's what your early game plays are. So is that good? I don't know. Does that translate into a strong Hearthstone deck? No, but might be like a high skill cap Hearthstone deck. Like it might be a complicated Hearthstone deck. Um, there's a lot of potential here and it might be strong, but I think that most players, day one, I don't think this deck is going to look strong. You know what I mean? I think this deck, it's going to take time for people to figure out how to play it. Now, the good news is that, you know, Shaman can add some good cards of the set to, like, more established archetypes. These are things that I think are more likely to succeed early on. The Evolve Shaman and the Totem Shaman, where you just add Horn, Turn the Tides. And you add Golganath because that card's busted. And you get a different dimension. These are board-centric decks that went through board and suddenly they get Horn turned to Tides. So they get off-board burst. Hmm. I wonder if that's ever worked worked before in a in a board-centric deck. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's like it's as if this worked exactly two months ago and was the most powerful deck in standard. Um, in pure Paladin, which was board-based and fair, and then it got worn, and <laughs> it stopped being fair. So, yeah, this could happen to something like a Totem Shaman or Evolve Shaman, where it gets the off-board burst. Uh, because Bloodlust is not that good. Like, 
cutting bloodlust from totem shaman it's not a sacred cow but bloodlust is not that good of a win condition it's five mana it's expensive and totem shaman is very vulnerable to removal so then bloodlust does nothing Warren, i think gives it with turn to tides i think that might be the the critical mass of synergy that might cause even totem shaman to run horn uh yeah but generally i think shaman has a lot to try out you can either the board base add horn or you go with the very difficult very difficult deck to build very difficult deck to pilot uh overload shaman but very exciting nonetheless absolutely uh turn of the tides being kind of the like one card inclusion to add on to these more board centric decks uh it feels like you know a, a great card to add um to again give this added dimension we saw how much it improved uh you know the excitement around pure pattern previously and so i'm sure it'll help these decks that have kind of been under the radar and haven't quite caught the players attention for a while now but i absolutely agree with you shaman feels so complicated um but i adore it like i think this set is fantastic and i think it will take a really long time to figure out uh the the afk aspect in the early game is such a huge downside but the payoff and uh you know the mana cheating that is eventually down the line is going to be so appealing so whether it is right now this expansion or just moving forward i love these cards and i'm really really interested to see like where things end up landing because i don't think anyone's going to get it right no offense zach to your you know <laughs> to your your theory craft no but. i i absolutely not not taken because this is gonna be a really complicated archetype to figure out um i think the list in the theory crafting uh article is you know as good of a benchmark as it can be but who knows like uh that deck is very complicated uh in general so we'll see what ends up uh happening uh in that direction but again, even if that thing doesn't take off early on, there are other things that you can do with Shaman that are kind of exciting. Actually, Totem Shaman with this Horn package and Golganeth looks like a very appealing deck, uh, honestly. Uh, this deck is not the favorite for a lot of, like, generally struggles to gain visibility, but this could give it visibility. This makes the deck a lot more exciting, I think, and can help in the visibility department of Shaman because Shaman was good enough during Festival. It just wasn't visible because people weren't too interested. It's in both directions as well. It's elf board damage as a win condition, and then the Golganath is real recovery. So it kind of fixes both issues that a lot of players may have had. Yeah, and you can even run... I was flirting with just running Lightning Storm and Totem Shaman, and I ended up going with Feral Spirit because Feral Spirit makes more sense for the deck, but you can even run Lightning Storm in a deck and have like super comeback mechanics in that in the archetype and it's very weird because normally totem shaman doesn't have access to that but just the ability of goganeth to just steal the three damage aoe six heal that could be amazing uh for that deck too though usually ideally you draw with goganeth i think most of the time if you're not under duress you're gonna draw with it okay warlock another super exciting probably one of my favorite classes to play during theory crafting streams you know, so much, uh, it, it got so much. It got Sargeras, so it's like, got better. It got so much survivability. Mortal Eradication, that card is cracked, Corb. Like, I play that card in the Theorycrafting stream. That card is insane. Like, it's, it's, uh, it's heals for infinite and just clears everything in the early game. Uh, that's what it feels like. 
uh and you got other good removal tools like warlock if you're playing like me like things like chad warlock chaotic consumption is powerful in fact you can use it to uh, you know sack off your amorphous slime and kill an opponent thing at the same time and obviously you've got ravenous kraken like if you have a th big threat on the board you just ravenous kraken shallow grave copy it's like cube dark pack uh combo you have it now uh now we don't have doom guards admittedly that was the best utilization of cube uh carnivorous cube dark pack but we do have threats so that and it like you can do it on dark M, uh and copy it and just burst your opponent down with it so and you can even do it on an imposing anubisoth you can play imposing anubisoth turn four and your opponent tries to ignore it like a like a faster opponent cannot kill it you just go ravenous kraken shallow grave turn five bam 14 14 good luck going through that so even something like that can work with kraken so there is some it's definitely exciting uh with the new additions uh, chad warlock and now it has late game more late game with sorgaris so that's another weakness that it had so survivability kind of gets fixed um late game gets a lot better so there's there's definitely more potential there but my favorite warlock deck was the Loken control scam barns deck. the bonds the bonds lock did you see the screenshot that that i posted in discord i did not i did not but i can imagine corp turn five turn five my board was a 3-3 loken a 15-15 tentacle and two 15-15 rushers <laughs> from uh forge of wills i had 48 power on the board turn five um like look at the theory crafting list basically the idea you run loken you run sargeras and fanatim and uh, imposing anubisoth as the only minion so you have three other minions besides loken which means loken is guaranteed if you didn't draw fanatim guaranteed to find fanatim draw it summon a 15 15 tentacle if you have a forge of will on the board you copy the 1515 tentacle and you go off. Uh, you can do it early, you know, coin turn five or turn six. That's your win condition in the faster matchups. Like there are decks that cannot remove that thing, right? You cannot deal with that. Uh, and then the rest of the deck is just survivability. Board clears, single target removal. Just defend, defend, defend. Get to Loken, win. Slower matchups, you're running Sargeras. You're running Lord Jaraxxus. Why do I have Lord Jaraxxus in the deck? Worst case scenario, wing welding. It's just fodder for wing welding. That card, I think, is could be pretty powerful. Also makes a Phantom draw not that bad, right? You just wing welding, clear the board for four mana. It's like a twisting nether effect. Um, so yeah, it's uh, that list. I love it. It just looks really, really cool. The warlock set felt. Um, well, we said the preset felt a bit like. Uh, disconnected I, I think the warlock set does almost in a positive way where it's giving very weird cool options to lots of different directions for warlock um, like some of these cards there's, there's not quite the same package uh, the same theme from all of these cards together but 
they work together in weird ways and you can kind of build different lists around them. So I I am very optimistic about Warlock as well. I think Wing Welding is a card that is slipping under the radar a little bit. I, I can totally see Wing Welding. I don't have it in the list, but I can totally see Wing Welding even being good in Chad Warlock. It's also possible. Um, uh, I, I personally don't have it in that list, but it's definitely an option. Uh, Warlock is one of those uh, one of the classes that I think was the most difficult to narrow down the list that I'm going to publish in the theory crafting article because there was like there are potentially so many things you can do. You can do Chad Warlock with curses. You can do Chad Warlock without curses. You can do like something similar to the Control Warlock with curses that I have in the list in the report where I'm just running Sargeras at the top end, so Movement of Pride always draws Sargeras, right? So I run low curve, super defensive. Uh, I run drone deconstructed to be a defile and chaotic consumption activator. And you just, your win condition is like, I'm just going curses. I have Sargeras. Those are my win conditions. Everything else, I'm just focused on survival, right? That's like one entirely different direction from like, I'm playing Loken and I'm summoning a 15-15, right? Or I'm playing different versions of Chad. So... Warlock has so many things that it can do. I won't be surprised if some build that I haven't even thought of ends up being strong because there's there's a lot of things you can do with Warlock. There are also death rattle directions. Maybe you run like Egg Package with Shallow Grave and Chaotic Consumption. That's something that probably is going to be tested. Uh, I don't have it in the theorycrafting list. It didn't make the cut. Um, but it's something that's definitely feasible uh, that can work. And then, you know... Imp Warlock got Corridor Creeper, so that might be strong. That card is quite good, I think. Yeah, zero mana five fives, those aren't bad. Yeah, Trog Exile, Corb. Watch out for Trog Exile. Everybody's flaming me for putting Trog Exile in a deck. I'm telling you, that thing discounts Imprisoned Horror by four mana. It's definitely worth testing. Um, Like, if, if you can get a, an Imprisoned Horror, if you can, like, keep horror in the mulligan it's a nine mana card i'm keeping it in the mulligan oh yeah because i know i have flame imp i have uh, a tour guide i have spirit bomb and i have drog exile the giga chat my imprisoned horror is going down to zero mana on turn three four so absolutely worth testing with the fatigue package as well the only concern i have with that deck is if it kills itself <laughs> that is an issue like yeah if you just yeah it might it might just kill itself maybe we run a harp or not um but we'll see i think warlock is super exciting uh there's so many stuff definitely playing warlock day one i may run out of deck slots for day one honestly but but yeah um finally warrior you know i was so hyped about everything else but warrior might be number one in the hype list uh odin Odin, it's that card is cracked. This was my best deck in the theory crafting stream. I was just stomping everyone. I felt sorry for the streamers. I honestly said it's not good content for them. So I, I, I honestly stopped playing it because of that. Um, I the, the list that we have in the theory crafting has a rift package. The rift package felt really good in this deck. The main reason you draw minions with chorus rift, it increases the consistency of having Odin on curve, which is the most important thing for this deck. This deck is like, where's my Odin? I play like, I don't know, uh, I think I went like 7-1. I played like 8 games, I went like 7-1. The game I lost, I burned Odin. I played against Language Hacker, 
I, I played against Landry Attacker, and he played Frozen Over and filled my hand. And then my next draw was Odin. And I lost. That was my loss, okay? Uh, but you just want to find it. You just want to find the card. So Rift Package works well with that. This list is a little bit weird in the sense where you're not running Brawl. This deck doesn't even run Shield Slam. Corp, Shield Slam doesn't go face. We only play things that go face. Uh, it's possible to cut the Rift Package and run like Brawl, Shield Slam, or defensive stuff. It's possible also to run Ignis. Uh, so, you know, you find the Wind Fury weapon and your infinite damage becomes infinite times two. I don't know if that's necessary, but it's possible. Also, the Titan is not even in this deck list because I, I picked Astalor over it because Astalor is another way to soften up the opponent. The second Astalor that gives you armor after Odin, you play Odin on turn eight and then you play turn nine Astalor. And that's a lot of damage. You deal two with a two mana Astalor, that's two. You get five armor, that's seven. So you deal seven damage and you're setting up an eight mana Astalor on turn eight, 10. Pretty powerful combo. So combo. It's a, it's a pretty powerful curve. Um... My other impressions, Craftsman Hammer, that card's insane. Uh, Stone Skin Armor gives you so much draw, so much consistency to what you want to do. Obviously, Steam Guardian, standout card. Steam Guardian, though, in this deck is good, but in Black Rock and Roll, which was my second best deck in the Theo Crafting streams, um, Steam Guardian just changes that deck completely. Uh, Black Rock and Roll, you can draw it every game. All you do with Black Arc and Roll, that build, which uh, which looks incredibly greedy, but it makes sense. I'll explain why it makes sense. You don't run Armor Vendor in this deck. What are you going to do with an Armor Vendor? You're not keeping it in a mulligan. Guys, the only cards you want in your opening hand is Steam Guardian, Black Rock and Roll. That's all you care about. So you pitch everything for these cards. You're not keeping anything. You're not keeping your two-mana fork. You're not keeping nothing that you want to add maybe in the early game curve to be less greedy, supposedly. There's nothing that you really want to keep. You just want to find Steam Guardian. If you mull hard for Steam Guardian, you are very likely to find it alongside Black Rock and Roll. Maybe you even keep, like, you probably still keep Black Rock and Roll in the opening hand if you get it. Even if you don't play it for four mana. I'm not sure. Uh, we'll see what ends up happening there, but... This deck builds on the fact that you can consistently find Black Rock and Roll most games, and then every other card is just a card that becomes really powerful if you top deck it after playing Black Rock and Roll. I think the only card that's not like that is School Teacher, because School Teacher is an insanely good card by itself, right? Uh, but everything else in that list is just insane after Black Rock and Roll, especially. Minotauran. Mir Let me say you, like Minotauran, Corb. I had a game. I think I was playing against Alistraza. I had 120 armor. Oh my god. Yeah. Why? Because I played Black Rock and Roll. That buffs Minotauran to 11 11. And then I played Theron, Lorthamar Theron. My Minotauran was 22 22. And Alistraza, she was forced to trade into it five times. And I got like 120 armor. Like it was just like this card is insane. People look at it and think, oh, this is Shield Maiden. This is Shield Maiden. 
uh, old shield maiden, six mana, five, five, battle cry, gain five armor. No, this is lifesteal minion for armor. If your opponent trades into it, it gains more armor. Like this card is, is incredible. I agree in general, uh, everything you've said about the, the deck building part, like this deck is kind of just Yu-Gi-Oh, where it's like, gotta believe in the heart of the cards, Zach. Like you play your black rock as fast as you possible, and then you just have to top deck Reno Jacksons, like constantly, Zilliax or Olgra or Minotauran or Abyssal Basis. Like you're just hoping that you survive this with whatever on, this, on the top of your deck. And there is a risk that, like, you get completely overrun, but if this deck is allowed to do its thing, by the time you get to turn 7 or 8, it's just unbelievable. There's nothing that beats this by that point. So this deck, the thing about this deck, is that you might be, like, tempted to uh, play, like, a Frightened Flunky. Oh, I have a Frightened Flunky, let's play it on turn 2. If you don't find Black Rock and Roll, your deck is like a greedy pile of arena. Like, it's not going to function the way you want it to. So, you need to find the card, and then that card turns everything that you play into something that's cracked, and then all the cards that you can top deck after Block and Roll are stabilizers. You can get a Lover Gorger, that's good. A Sword Eater, that has Taunt. A Zilliax, a Minotauran, a Decimator Olgra. Everything that you can top deck is meant to be insane from Black Rock and Roll. So, that's the idea. Maybe it's wrong, uh, but um, that list is super exciting. This might be my first queue, actually. This might get my first expansion queue um, because I actually see a lot of potential with that archetype. But again, be greedy in your mulligan. Don't don't settle. I do want to jump back quickly just to the Odin Armor Warrior. Um, I hadn't really, I didn't play this in the Theorycraft Extreme because I thought that it was something that most other players were going to be doing. But yeah, Odin is just a quest reward. Like, that card is so absurd, and then once you play it, the entire game flips immediately, like a lot of the quest rewards did. Um, and I don't know, this looks very enticing. Like, I didn't have one built because, again, I thought other people would do it. But the more I'm looking at this, I'm looking at Bash and Shear Block and Heavy Plate. Um, this might be my kind of control warrior. Yeah, this this is, like Odin is is quest reward. It is like I every time you play Odin, your opponent explode either turn nine or turn ten at most. Turn nine, like if you don't have the burst, if you don't have thirty from hand, sometimes you do. But if you don't, you just play Tidal Revenant or Astalor. Tidal Revenant deals thirteen. You go face with it for five. It gains eight armor, so you get eight attack. You deal thirteen to them. In that turn. And then turn 10, they're probably dead. This is what happened every time I played this deck. Uh, the one, the other thing, Trial by Fire, insane card. Definitely scale of Onyxia level combat card. And Bellowing Flames kills everything in the early game. To the point where I didn't really feel like I missed Brawl. The only situation, like Brawl, even now, it's been for months, a pretty weak card. The only situation where I can see Brawl becoming a card that you run in this deck is if Druid becomes really successful. If they regularly drop Drum Circle, a combined Drum Circle against you, you're probably going to need the Brawl. That might be a post-expansion adjustment, but it's entirely dependent on whether Druid is good. If Druid is not good, is not flying, 
I don't really see a great re uh, a reason to run Brawl, which is why it's not in the deck. Um, but yeah, that list, this list looks really cool. It's a really cool deck, and and uh, I I had so much fun with it when I when I played it. It just it seems very promising. It is a quest reward. It's very much is, and it kind of comes online. Around the time quests are, were completed in the installment, you would play usually quest on turn 7. This is a turn 8 quest reward. So, yeah, if you find it in the mulligan, keep it. You keep it in the mulligan. Guys, I know it's an 8-mana card, but you keep it in the mulligan. If you have it in your opening hand, keep it. Don't don't pitch it. I'm going to see keep rates for this card. I'm going to cry <laughs> after I evaluate it statistically. I'm going to see people pitching it. Uh, like, yeah. Um... Yeah, obviously, you know, the reason why I also think Warrior is so strong, uh, potentially, is that it doesn't even need, like, armor and Blackrock to work out, because Enrage is insane, and Steam Guardian and Enrage Warrior is really good, and there's also a really cool uh, idea with Menagerie Warrior, where you just, okay, let's play Blackrock and Roll, and Steam Guardian is an elemental, and it draws us either Roaring Applause or Blackrock and Roll, so even the faster Warrior decks, for me, seem quite promising and it's hard for me to see everything just bombing it's possible but but it's likely that you know at least enrage warrior is gonna be good so um it because it's it like the thing about enrage warrior it's really good it has really strong snowballing capabilities so if like if if druid is successful it's just gonna imbue exit out of the game right uh hunter it's a good deck against hunter in general so if hunter is really successful then enrage warrior matches up pretty well with that like usually enrage warrior snowballs before the hunter is going to be able to abj the the hollow hound right so that deck even though it doesn't have many new cards it's a deck that's likely to line up well against uh against uh emerging decks like against mech decks i fully expect enrage warrior to completely stop mech decks right uh so yeah, I think Warrior is really promising, but yeah, we, we might finally have a strong late game Warrior strategy. They really fixed Warrior's late game with this expansion. You queue up the deck that I played, you queue up Blackrock, and I'll queue up the deck that you played. I'll, I'll queue up the Armor Warrior. Um, but yeah, I mean, we, we kind of went through the big picture, I think. Do you think it's fair to say that there are about six classes that look like more clear winners and then there are maybe five that perhaps didn't quite get everything uh i think seven classes got really good sets if i had to if i had to say which classes got great sets i think druid got a great set hunter i think mage got a good set paladin uh, especially when you add crusader aura into the equation shaman warlock and warrior these are the sets that for me look good look strong they may not all pan out like the mage one is the most suspect out of them uh in terms of being good enough but the spell school mage is really exciting and i think spell school mage even if it's not the best deck people will play it so in terms of design success i think it will be and if it's not good enough it'll get buffed uh right in Paladin, same thing for Earthens. Earthen is the weakest part of the Paladin set, but the other aspects uh, for the aggressive Paladin archetypes are really good. So I think those are seven good ones. The the bad ones, I think, are Death Knight, uh, Demon Hunter, 
which might be able to recover even without that set. Priest, which has like two insane cards and everything else is a little sussy with the robot boy. And Rogue, uh, for me, is a sussy set. Even though some people swear by Mech Rogue. And I do like the Illusionist build, I will admit, but uh, Mech Rogue is not the guaranteed, uh, not a guaranteed winner for sure. So I think it's a 7-4 split. So overall, this expansion is powerful. I do think this expansion is powerful. I definitely agree. I, I think this is going to be a big jump up. Again, maybe not Stormwind level jump up, but I, I like mentioned at the very top of the show, um, the lethality and sort of board swings that you can envision happening um, are going to be probably very different than what we've been currently seeing in Standard. Um, that's pretty typical that you get a big jump between the fourth and fifth expansion as well. Um, and the fifth expansion is usually my favorite time to play Hearthstone when it comes to Standard. So there's a lot of interesting stuff, uh, and I'm really, really looking forward to it. Uh, would you generally agree with that kind of impression of the set as well? Um, generally, you know, traditionally on paper, the third expansion of the year is supposed to be the strongest one. But it, it feels like to me over the last few years, they've kind of switched that and made the second set of an expansion usually the strongest or at least the most game-changing or format-changing. Uh, it feels like the first set, they usually are very cautious with power level. You're playing like Sunken City Barons, Festival Legends level of sets, which don't have, aren't like the most powerful things. And the, the you know, the format feels a little bit more watered down and Control Priest is good, usually, at that time, right? Because... Because nobody can kill anyone. And then second set jumps. Um, I think that trend started from Old Doom, which was a few years ago. But second sets do tend to be more powerful and game-changing. And I, I do expect a, a big difference there. Uh, in terms of when... I, I don't know about... I think second and third sets are usually when I have more fun with Hearthstone. First sets is usually when I struggle more. Because I like increased power level. I don't like to play watered down stuff. And I'm not the biggest fan of playing against Control Priest when it's good. But uh, but uh, but yeah, I, I tend to agree. I like Hearthstone more when it's powerful. When it feels powerful. Uh, so hopefully this, this expansion will deliver that. And we'll see. New like Next podcast is going to come maybe less than a week. And we're going to look back and all our thoughts about this expansion on the day of the expansion and think how, how, how wrong we were about everything. So <laughs> we'll see what happens. Yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a guarantee. There's going to be stuff that we don't get right. And that's part of the fun. A absolutely. Absolutely. And also, it's going to be interesting to see why we got things wrong. Like, what led us to think this wrong? And why did it turn out differently than what we thought? Uh, and yeah, remember, predictions are for fun. And don't take them too seriously. Um, uh, if if we think that there's a certain class, your favorite class is not going to be strong in the expansion, doesn't mean that we're right. Uh, neither are the, the, the streamers don't know better, don't know any better too. Pro players are not going to know any better. It's just, it's just too many games that you have to... Like, you bring up too many games when an expansion launches and too much experimentation happens in the first few hours that completely trumps 
any sort of theoretical thinking or a, a single theorycrafting streams events, right? It's just not going to compare. But it's still always fun to talk about. And it's been fun to talk with you here today, Zach. Uh, again, just to reiterate, the intention is that we'll have a report on August 10th. But uh, if they do one of the very early patches that they've done um, in the last couple of expansions, then we'll have to uh, change that and we'll let you know. A report probably, report, it depends. Uh, oh. I think if they do like a patch three days in, it's likely that we still have enough games to report on Thursday. The report... Okay. The report date, I think it's not going to be the one in danger. The one that could change is the podcast. Got it. It's the time of the podcast because um, let's say I'm planning to do a, a a podcast on Sunday. Let's say we want to do a podcast on Sunday and then they do a nerf patch Friday. Then we're going to have to do the podcast maybe Monday, Tuesday to get enough data to see what's happening after the nerfs or whatever, after they nerf uh, Hollow Hound. <laughs> <laughs> sure sure uh but yes we'll, we'll let you guys know um so they have those details uh a reminder that if you want to help support vicious syndicate you can always sign up for vs gold or join patreon uh we recently had our vicious syndicate card design contest as part of a, a giveaway which was very exciting got to see some very talented uh you know members of the community come up with new ideas so you can come join that if you you know join vicious syndicate gold or patreon um again we always want to thank evil dave for the podcast transcriptions and to steven sensei for the intro and outro and we'll see you guys next time have a great expansion day bye the data reaper podcast is an official production of vicious syndicate Don't forget to sign up and contribute your game data to improve the quality of the weekly Data Reaper report. Instructions are available on our website, along with lots of other weekly content at viciousyndicate.com. Thank you to all of our patrons and data contributors for proving their strength in numbers.